We'll forego that today. All right. Very good. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 15. And we're looking at the topic today of amazed. What amazes you? I wonder what amazes us. We may hear that word that's amazing or something that uh, amazes us, amazes other people uh, at different times throughout the week. Maybe it's the minuscule. I asked permission from Angie to be able to tell this story. So I always have to, you know, preface it when I, when I do that so you know that I'm not getting in trouble when I get home. I may still get in trouble when I get home, but I did ask for permission. <clears throat> but nevertheless, I told her the other day that she does something that amazes me. In our house, uh, I can be in the kitchen and she'd be in another part of the, uh, the, the den, which is over in another room. And uh, she will say something and I will say something. And she'll say, what'd you say? What would you say? And we have that little back and forth. And then I can be in that same place at a different time, and I can be looking at something, and I'll say, hmm. And she'll say, what would you say? What was it? Hmm. What was that? So it just never ceases to amaze me. So it could be just the minuscule things that amaze us, or maybe it's the majestic things that amaze us. Maybe it is some beautiful part of nature. I know when we were on sabbatical back in 07, we went to Colorado, went to Wyoming, and some of those scenes were just glorious, and it was just amazing. So we have some things in our lives. Maybe it's the minuscule, maybe it's the majestic, but today we're going to talk about something that's marvelous and how that amazes us. Today we come to the scripture immediately before Jesus is crucified, and we, and we find today's passage is full of amazement. What we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, and we're going to come to that passage here, and we're going to look at this passage as if we've never seen it before. And if we push the pause button and we pull back from this passage and we look with fresh eyes again at what is happening here in verses 1 through 20, we cannot help but to be amazed. We cannot help it. So let's take a look here today in Mark 15, verses 1 through 20, in honor and reverence to the Word of God. If you're able, would you please stand as I read this for us this morning. Mark 15, 1 through 20. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. And then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he'd always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. And Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. And so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. 
And then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. They called together the whole garrison. They clothed them with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple, off, the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and let him out to crucify him. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful for the reading of the word of God this morning, and we thank you for what you are doing and how you're speaking to us even through the passage as we stand back and look again with fresh eyes, Lord, at what you have done for us. As this is leading up to the cross, Lord, we are still amazed. And so, Father, I pray that as we dive into the word this morning, that you would help us to be open and receptive to hear what you want us to hear. And may your word have its power to work in our hearts, to pierce through that which needs to be pierced through, to break down that which needs to be broken down in our lives, that we'd be open and receptive to what you want us to hear and to understand. So Lord, I pray now that you would be with every person who's here, that if there are those here who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this would be that hour of salvation. For those of us who are your children, we pray, Lord, that you would use this time to draw us to the place that we would walk away from here knowing that we have been refreshed in our spirits and renewed in our walk because we have been simply amazed again at who you are and what you have done. And so, Lord, we pray now that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> when you see the outline for today's uh, message in the bulletin there for you to sort of fill in a little bit. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the composure. <clears throat> the composure of Jesus now, if you remember, last week we talked about the noble silence, and we had the silence of Jesus, <clears throat> and sometimes how we don't quite understand that, but we can see that he was at work even in the silence, and that continues even into these first five verses or so, and we see sort of what else is going on at the nighttime was what was last week, and now we're in the morning. It tells us in verse 1, immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation. They held a meeting with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. So they had met at night. We're looking at this meeting and they had met at night, which was unlawful for the Sanhedrin to meet at night. But they met at night and now they're going to put their stamp of authenticity on what they're trying to do to Jesus by meeting in the morning, in the daylight. And so they had to come up with some type of political charge against Jesus in order that he might be killed by the Romans instead of themselves so that they'll take the heat instead of them and they would be the ones who would need to do that. And so they come up with this trumped up charge of treason saying that he has called himself to be the king of the Jews. And so they take that to Pilate. And as they talk to Pilate, we see that Pilate understands exactly what's happening. But we continue in verse 1, and we see here that not only do we see this, meet, this meeting and looking at the composure of Jesus in the midst of this meeting, that they were uh, doing all these things that were underhanded, and yet we see that Jesus is still silent. The next thing we see here in verse 1 is that after it tells us in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elder scribes and the whole council. It tells us that they bound Jesus, they led him away, and they delivered him to Pilate. You know, if we're not careful, we'll just, we'll just read right over that. 
We've read that verse so many times. We've read things about what happened to Jesus at this time that we're not even really thinking about the ramifications of what is happening here in that one verse. But look at it again. It says that they, they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. They bound Jesus. They led him away. And they delivered him to Pilate. That's King Jesus that we're talking about here. This is King Jesus. This is the same Jesus that John talks about in his gospel. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus he's talking about. He was in the beginning with God, that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And so we see here that this Jesus that they have bound and led away and delivered is the Jesus who is the Word, who is with God and is God. In Colossians 1, we also find this about this King Jesus, that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, that all things, watch now, were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. This is King Jesus, and yet we see here that these people, these human beings, bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. You have to look at that and say, that's simply amazing. We see Jesus' composure as he maintains his composure He is the king. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. And yet, they bound him, led him away, and delivered him. We see the meeting of these people and Jesus' composure. We see the manner in which they led him away, and we see Jesus' composure. And now we see the marvel of of, uh, Pilate. In verses 2 through 5, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said to him, it is as you say. That means Yes, with a disclaimer. It is sort of like Jesus saying, well, you say so. So it's yes, but not what you think. Yes, he's the king of Jews, but not what you're thinking. And so then the chief priests evidently are accusing him of many things, and he's answering nothing. And And indeed, that in the Greek means he answered no longer nothing. It's very emphatic. He is not saying anything. And it tells us that uh, in verse 4, Pilate asked him again, do you answer nothing? See, you have many th- how many things they are testifying against you. Verse 5, but Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. And that literally means Pilate was amazed. He was amazed at Jesus not saying anything at his composure because such silence was rare in the Roman court. Pilate was used to people protesting very loudly when they were brought into his court. But here stands Jesus who has been bound and led and delivered even though he is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And Pilate marvels. He's amazed. And friends, we can be amazed too. Amen? at who this is and what Jesus is doing. We see his composure. Secondly, we see the condemnation. 
We see the expectation of Pilate in verses 9 and 10. Pilate answered the crowd saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Now, we don't like Pilate. Typically, we don't have good things to say about Pilate. But Pilate wasn't, he wasn't one brick short of a full load. Pilate uh, didn't just fall off the turnip truck. You know what I'm talking about? Pilate knew what was happening here with the chief priests and what they were doing. Pilate was a hated ruler, but he knew that Jesus was being brought before him because of envy and jealousy of the chief priests and the scribes and the religious leaders. He knew that Jesus had not done anything deserving of death, and so he expected to be able to release him and would pit the priest over against the people as he would bring this Jesus out there, and the people then would decide. That's what he was expecting. But with that expectation, we next see an exclamation. We see the people crying out with something in verses 11 through 14. It says that, but the chief priest had stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. And Pilate answered and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And so they cried out again, crucify him. And then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? And they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Jesus now is standing here with Pilate. Pilate knows what's happening here with the chief priests and how they're doing this out of envy and jealousy. He's done nothing to deserve death. And so he's expecting that the, the people are going to say, no, we don't want him to be crucified. Let him go, what have you. And, but we see that the chief priests have stirred up the crowds and now they're calling out to crucify Jesus. They, they want him to be killed. And so Pilate not wanting a riot allows it and the innocent will be crucified. Only those who were slaves, listen, only those who were slaves or those who were not Roman citizens could be crucified. And so Jesus would die the death of a rebel. He would die the death of a slave and not as a king because the people are crying out against Jesus to crucify and they, as they want him to be crucified. And so the guilty is given for the innocent. And so there's an exchange that takes place. In verses 6 through 8, we see, At the feast he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. And then if you skip up to verse 15, So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. Barabbas. Barabbas was a convicted and a condemned robber, according to the Gospel of John. Not only was he a condemned robber, he was a murderer, we see here. He was involved in rebellion. And indeed, since he was condemned, he had been convicted and he is condemned, that means that he is awaiting his death sentence. He is a dead man walking. He has a death sentence on his head. He is awaiting execution. And there's no hope at all for him for acquittal. There's no hope at all for him to find any kind of freedom. He is soon going to find that he is dead. 
because he is a condemned man. And so having known that now, as we look back at this, we have to wonder that Barabbas must have been surprised when the guards walked into him and they began to go over to him as he's probably thinking, okay, this is it. This is the day in which I'm, I'm gone. But instead, they go over to Barabbas and they break those shackles. They go over to him and they remove the chains that are on him. And he has to think, what's going on? And they say, well, you're released. Barabbas, you're now free. Well, how is it that I am free? And the guards would say, well, Barabbas, someone is taking your place. Someone is taking your place. And so Barabbas would walk out of there a free man, released of his bondage, released of the chains, and his guilt that he had has been transferred to someone else. As Barabbas were to leave that jail cell, I wonder if Barabbas was amazed. I have to think that he was. Because what did Barabbas do to deserve his freedom? Nothing. He did nothing to deserve his freedom. And friends, here's the thing. Neither do we. Neither do we. We do not deserve the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, Barabbas is a picture of us. He's a picture of us. In Romans 5, verse 8 and 9, it tells us the Paul, Apostle Paul writes and says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, guilty of our sin, guilty, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified or made innocent by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath or God's penalty through him, through Jesus. We are made innocent by the blood of Jesus. He took our place. He was the innocent who became the guilty, and we're the guilty who became the innocent because of Jesus. And when we look at that, we have to wonder if Barabbas was amazed. And I have to wonder, are we still amazed? Are we still amazed at what Jesus has done for us? Are we still amazed that he has taken our guilt and given us his innocence? Are we still amazed that our shackles are broken? Are we still amazed that our chains are gone? Are we still amazed, friends, that we are free from our sin and and that we're alive in Christ when we didn't deserve it? Are we amazed? We see the composure of Jesus, we see the condemnation of Jesus, and we're amazed. But also, we have to look at one more thing, and that is the cruelty. The cruelty, and be amazed. The first thing we see here is the torture. We see the torture in verse 15, as it tells us in there that Pilate has wanting to gratify the crowd. He released Barabbas to them, and he delivers Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Now, again, this is one of those times where as we read through the story as believers, if we've been believers for a long time, we might just kind of just gloss over these words. But we need to pull back and say, what do these words mean? What actually took place here? 
and think again afresh and anew at what Jesus had to endure with the cruelty of these people against him. And we see here this scourging in verse 15, and the scourging is a flogging. And what took place, some of you probably saw the Passion of the Christ years ago when it came out, and these, these images are in our minds probably forever. But it is indeed exactly what took place when a person was being scourged or being flogged. That person was tied to a post so that their hands are upheld, tied high. And they are stripped so that their, their naked back is being seen. And they're Roman soldiers, one on each side, who will take a cat of nine tails, a, a, a studded leather strap that has woven within it sharp bones and metal, and they would begin to each, each taking a turn, slapping at the back and on the back of the person who is being flogged. It has been said in some of the commentaries that I read this week that it is a gruesome sight. And that as a person is being flogged, that oftentimes as they're being flogged, that even their bones and organs are often exposed in this flogging. As a matter of fact, as, as people are being flogged, being scourged, many would not survive it. It is so harsh and cruel. But the Romans would do this before crucifixion in order to weaken the person, weaken the criminal so that they would die quickly as they went to the cross. Many people who would watch this flogging take place would faint at the sight of how gruesome it is. But not only do we see that, that our, our Savior did that, but we also see in verse 17 that it, that it tells us that they had, the Roman soldiers had twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that if I just get a small splinter in my finger, that hurts. And what we know about this passage in, in this crown of thorns, that these are sharp, long thorns that had been crafted as a crown and it had been placed in mockery on Jesus's head. And not only had it been placed there, but it had been pressed down. And then they had given him a reed to mock him, a, a stick, if you will. And they take, had taken that and began to strike him repeatedly on the top of the head with these thorns going into his brow. We see the cruelty and the torture of what Jesus endured. Not only did he endure the cruelty of the torture, but he also endured the cruelty of the taunting of the soldiers. In verses 16 and following, it tells us the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple. They twisted the crown of thorns. They put it on his head, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed. They spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshiped him. They mocked Jesus as king. You remember who this is? You remember who we're talking about here? We're talking about King Jesus, who really is the king, who has all power to do what he needs to do. He, has the, he is the creator. He is the sustainer. And yet we see him being mocked as a king, and we see these people the creation, if you will, spitting on the creator. You know, as a boy, we learned how to spit back in the country. But one of the things we learned is you never spit on people, right? It's the lowest insult. And what we see here is that these people are spitting on Jesus. 
So we see the cruelty of the torture, and we see the cruelty of the taunting of the soldiers. But friends, here's the other thing that is just so amazing as we look at this passage of Scripture. Not only the torture, which is a horrendous amount of torture, and the taunting that he did definitely did not deserve, but what we see that is so amazing here to us as believers in who King Jesus is and what he is doing is this, is that he took it. That's amazing, isn't it? That Jesus took it. You see, as we've just read all that's taken place here in these first 19 verses here, and we've seen how he has endured uh, what the false accusations of the chief priests and the religious leaders. He's heard all these things. The people all around him have yelled out to crucify, to crucify. We've seen that he has been flogged now by the Roman soldiers. He has been taunted as a king, even though he really is the king. And the next verse that we come to in verse 20, it does not say, and so he had enough and he disappeared. It does not say, and he sent an army of angels and he destroyed them all. And it does not say he revealed to them all that he was God and by by miraculously being healed in a moment of all that had been done to him. We don't see that in this next verse. But what we see in verse 20 is that when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus took it. Why? Why? Because he certainly did not have to. He did not deserve what he was receiving. But here is why. It's because he did it for you. Friends, it doesn't matter who you are, and it does not matter what your background It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your education. Jesus did that for you. And he did that for me. But you want to hear something else? He was doing this even for the Roman soldiers. He was even doing this for those religious leaders who brought the false accusations. He was doing this even for Pilate. He was even doing it for the criminals who were on the crosses next to him. And he was doing it for those people who were crying out, crucify. And he was doing it for Barabbas. If they would only believe. Pastor, that's just crazy. No, friend. That is grace. Amen? That is grace. And it is amazing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind but now I see. Amen? Amazing grace. Friends, as we have pulled back and looked again with fresh eyes what Jesus was enduring, the question for us today is, are you amazed? Are you amazed at what Jesus has done? 
Well, what do we do when we're amazed by something? When we're amazed by something, there's a few things that I think that we do. So at the bottom there, you see the to-do. Here's the first thing is we pause. When we're amazed by something, we simply pause. I couldn't help but to think about, again, when we were traveling out west, when you're, when you're, if you've traveled any distance in a vehicle, you know that when you have a destination to get to, typically, I'll confess as a man, we like to get there as soon as we can. Amen? We're going to get from point A to point B, no stopping, no bathroom breaks, and we'll eat lunch on the way. You know, we're going, right? We're going. But I have to tell you that as we were on that sabbatical, there were places that we came around the corner and it was just like, whoa, even our children were like, dad, you've got to stop. And we did. And we would stop and we would get out of the car and we would just look and just marvel at the beauty of things that we were seeing and especially in Wyoming, just the beauty So when we are amazed at something, especially as we're traveling, we will stop and look and we'll try to take it in. We will pause to take it in. Friends, I have no doubt as I was working on this message this week, I I couldn't tell you the number of times that as I was working on this, I heard myself say or other people say, that's amazing. I'm amazed at that. Or you would be amazed if you had seen this. And so what I'd like to get you to do this week is that as you hear someone say, or you find yourself saying that I'm amazed, or it's amazing, may it be a trigger in your heart that you will pause. And remember that our greatest amazement is what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Will you do that? Let it be that, that alarm bell in your heart to just stop and pause and remember what Jesus has done. The second thing is we are amazed by things in which we see. We pause, but the next thing we do is we proclaim. We proclaim it. When something amazes you, when something wows you, you pause and take it in, but then you want people to know about it, right? You tell people about it, you know? If you're, if you're a golfer and you play golf and you've been playing for quite a few years and all of a sudden you get a hole in one, you're going to be amazed at that, aren't you? But you're going to keep that quiet. You're not going to tell anybody, right? I don't think so. We're going to tell people, you should have seen it. It went up there and it went in the hole. It's hole in one. Or maybe, yes, amen, brother. I've never seen it myself, but maybe you have. (laughs) Nevertheless, or maybe it's a team that we're following and they've been, they're 20 points behind. And then all of a sudden they pull ahead and they win in the last few minutes. It's amazing. And we can't wait to tell people about it. Or maybe it's in the, in the store where we're looking for clothes. And we go to that, our favorite brand, Clarence. And we go to the Clarence rack and we find 95% off name brand clothes or shoes, whatever it may be. And they fit. They're our size. Well, it's amazing. We got to tell somebody about this, Right? Or maybe it's driving through Colonial Heights and we realize that we've gone all the way through Colonial Heights and every one of the lights have been green. And that's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Now, when we get to the end of that, we're going to tell somebody, amen? Because that's amazing. 
Or maybe it's that majestic beauty or the natural wonder. But whatever it may be, friends, when we see something amazing, we're going to proclaim it. Friends, I'm here to tell you that what Jesus has done is amazing and it's worth proclaiming. Amen? It's worth proclaiming. The dead has been made alive. We were dead men walking and now we're alive. Our shackles are gone. Our chains are gone and we are free because of Jesus. And that's good news. Good news that we need and good news that the world needs to hear today as well. Amen? It's amazing grace. We are to pause. We are to proclaim. And then thirdly, we need to press on. As Mark writes this gospel, he is writing the gospel to the Romans who are being, Roman Christians who are being persecuted. These Roman Christians who are being persecuted, are, Mark is writing to these people. And so as Mark is writing these words, he is pointing to what Jesus has endured. And don't you think that as those people who are facing some of the same difficulties as Christians in that day, to see what their Savior went through, that it would spur them on to press on. So no matter what was happening in their lives, as they're going through the persecution in which they were facing, they needed to think of Jesus and press on. No matter what they were facing, they needed to think of Jesus and press on. And friends, listen, we need to do the same. No matter what we are facing in this life, we need to think of Jesus and remember what he did for us and press on. No matter what it is that we're having to deal with in this culture and in this life as believers, we need to think about what Jesus endured and we need to press on. Amen? We are living in a time when our political leaders and even some of our spiritual leaders are turning their backs on Jesus. We're living in a culture that is constantly, constantly choosing the Barabbases of the world over Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that I truly believe that life will grow more difficult for Bible-believing followers of Jesus. But friends, as that happens, we must remember Jesus and press on. Amen? Press on. Press on. Because that's what he has done. He has endured this for us. Pause, proclaim, and press on. So the question then for you today is, do you know this Jesus? Do you know Jesus who died for you, who did, went through the cross for you, who went through this torture for you, who went through the taunting for you? Do you know this Jesus? Well, you can know him. It's a simple step of faith. We acknowledge we're sinners and in need of a Savior. And we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ, which is repentance. And we believe, embrace him with all of our heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross and rose again bodily from the grave. And we profess him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a step of faith. If you've never trusted Jesus to save you, to break the bondages in your life, that the chains are gone and he will take your guilt from you and your shame and cleanse you of your sin to free you If you've never trusted him, today's that day to give your heart to Christ. It's a step of faith. For those of us who do know the Lord Jesus Christ, will we simply be amazed again? Will we be reminded afresh and anew 
at who Jesus is and what he endured for us. And as we remember what he did for us, may it amaze us, but may it cause us to pause and to proclaim and to press on. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you be with us now. Lord, as you're dealing with our hearts and dealing with our lives, Lord, as you're working in us, Lord, reminding us of the awesome sacrifice that has been paid by our King, King Jesus, that he endured what he did not have to endure for us. Lord, may you use that in our lives even today to amaze us yet once again so that we will pause and give you praise and glory and that we will proclaim the good news of the gospel, that you're still able to save to the uttermost, that you're still able to offer freedom to those who are guilty, that you're able to break the shackles and release the chains that bind us. So, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we come to our invitation. Lord, as we sing this next song, we pray that you would deal with our hearts. If there are those who don't know Jesus, that they would be willing to step out and take either Pastor Andy or myself by the hand and say, I just want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And, Lord, we look forward to praying with folks to do that. We pray, Father, for those of us who are your people, that we would just be reminded. And we pray that as we come to this invitation, that as we sing this song, Lord, we would say, Lord, I want to live for you daily. The gospel, the the truth of what you have done for us, Lord, has gotten sort of stagnant in my life. And I, I want to be amazed again at who you are and your grace that has been poured out to me. And I don't want to live another day. I don't want to breathe another breath without remembering the awesome price of my salvation. Lord, may it wow us. And may we proclaim it. And no matter what we're facing in this life, that we will think of Jesus and remember what you have done for us. And may it spur us on to press on. Lord, how you are faithful to us. And we pray now that as we come to this invitation that you deal with us as we have the decisions to make of commitment or recommitment, surrender or obedience, whatever it is you're dealing with us about, we pray you'd have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. As we